Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Working for Women podcast. I'm Carla Jacobs, visiting fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. January is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month, and I've asked Jeff Shaw from the Atlanta Dream Center and Out of Darkness to uh, join us today and talk a little bit about what his organization does in Atlanta to combat human trafficking. Um, Jeff, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Carla. Excellent. Um, Jeff is the executive director at the Atlanta Dream Center and the founder of Out of Darkness. And he is uh, based in Atlanta, uh, as am I. And so we've had the opportunity to work together some in the past. So let's talk for a minute, Jeff, about Out of Darkness and tell us a little bit about, you know, what was behind the founding of it and what are some of the things that you guys do in Atlanta? Sure. So I'm a proud graduate of the University of Georgia School of Law and started practicing, <laughs> started practicing at a local firm here in Atlanta. And then in 2011, I got introduced to the reality of trafficking more from a global perspective, but then kind of in my pursuit of learning more because it affected me so deeply, I came to find out about the problem here domestically in the United States as well. And once I knew that it wasn't just something happening in countries that maybe struggled with a, an established rule of law or proper enforcement or educational opportunities, but it was happening in the West as well. I just kind of knew, um, and part for me of it being a faith journey, that this was something that I was created to do. So I, that's when Out of Darkness came to be as a 24-hour hotline for individuals in the commercial sex industry to be able to call either just to talk with someone or to make a choice to exit their exploitation. Excellent. So you have a team, so you have the hotline and that was what you started with, correct? Yeah, that's right. And then from there, we wanted, we wanted the hotline not just to be a resource for conversations or for referral, but to actually be able to take steps if someone said, hey, I'm in a dangerous situation or I'm in a position that I want to get out of as quickly as possible for us to be able to mobilize individuals to actually go pick those people up and get them to safety right away. And one of the gaps that we saw in the anti-trafficking movement was that um, there are really great recovery programs, but the access to those programs is a lot more difficult because it there's rarely 24-hour intake. A lot of times there might be age limitations or limitations based on pregnancy, mental illness, criminal history, um, not, not in a bad way, but because those programs to function well had to have a, a niche of services. So we wanted to kind of provide a safety net that anybody could call, and if they were serious about getting help and willing to meet a few basic conditions, that we would go get them and bring them to a place of safety and then help them ascertain what the next best step would be for their healing journey. Okay. So do you have, um, like, social workers on staff that help coordinate that? Yeah, exactly. So we have a safe home, and it's staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
And there's care coordinator positions, which kind of have more of a counseling focus. And we don't open up the long-term counseling relationship because we're often leaving that for the next step in the journey, but they're there for crisis stabilization, helping with grounding techniques and um, complex trauma, nightmares, things like that. And then we have a care team that focuses more on the social work and case management side that is helping schedule doctor's appointments, court appointments, make calls to long-term residential programs, help with the admissions process, short-term and long-term goal setting. So our, our staff is incredible, and they check a lot of those boxes that are really needed to provide holistic care. Yes, they do. They do. And you guys do an amazing job uh, here. I've met some of the folks that have been through your program and um, that you've helped get into long-term care programs and just what a huge uh, impact that had on them. Um, You guys have, you're managing a lot of volunteers too, right? You talked a little bit about your staff at the safe home. Yeah. But the outreach is volunteers, correct? Yeah, actually, most of what we do is volunteer-driven because it would just be impossible to sustain the amount of staffing that would be needed to to run it all paid. So we have kind of a, a structure where every area of what we do has leaders over it. So we do outreaches to eight jails in Georgia currently, And each jail has a volunteer lead that knows what the criteria is for that jail, who the women are that are requesting visits. They're working with the jail social workers. And then we have street outreaches, and those are led by rotations of volunteer leaders who take groups of volunteers out to connect with women on the streets and in motels with roses and cards and our hotline number. And then we also have volunteer leaders leading strip club outreaches twice a month. Um, Atlanta is a hub for strip club industry and culture. And we see a lot of overlap in kind of the continuum of exploitation. So we really value that relationship building within the clubs. If we can help prevent people from getting into trafficking or provide intervention, if they've already touched up against it. So yeah, our, from, from that point through the hotline, through the pickup process all the way to the home where volunteers come in and cook meals with the ladies. This We just had Christmas and we had teams come in and do gifts. And a lot of, we had ladies say, this is the first time I've ever sat in front of a Christmas tree in my whole life. It's the first time I've wow. ever unwrapped a present. So it's really the idea with volunteers is just creating a community around people that maybe they've never experienced before in some sense of family so that they can start to believe, hey, I don't have to go this alone. There are people who are going to care about me and walk alongside me even after I leave this program and I'm reintegrating into the life I always wanted to have and not the, the community and the life that I've been used to for most of my life. Right, right. That's absolutely amazing. And you had, when you and I talked before, we were talking about one of the ladies that had been through your program and you mentioned that she talked about sitting down to dinner, that she'd never sat down to family dinner before. Yeah, that story was really powerful for me because I think it's one of the things we most take for granted. And the way we operate our safe home, we really don't want it to feel institutional. So it's truly a home and the women sleep in bedrooms and 
they eat in the kitchen and they hang out in the living room. And um, this young lady you're referring to came to us in her 20s. And she said one of the things that she has most remembered was at dinner time, everybody sitting around a table together, eating together and talking. And growing up, her family never did that. So she said that was the first time she'd ever had a family-style dinner. And for most of us, that's something that we just assume is normal or take for granted. But for her, it was so powerful to experience normalcy just in sitting around a dinner table. Right, right. And we oh, we do take so much for granted. Um, that's one of the things I always take away when I'm talking to survivors and, and doing some of the, the different things that, that my organization does. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk um, about the Super Bowl. I don't know if you've heard, but the Super Bowl is coming to Atlanta in a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, I, so I've heard. <laughs> yes, I was downtown yesterday, and they've already put this huge um, picture of the Super Bowl trophy on Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and they're in the process of turning the high-rises down there into giant billboards. So it, um, it looks pretty pretty awesome down there around Centennial Olympic Park. Have you been down there yet? Yeah, it's I have, and my uncle just came into town for work, and he couldn't get a hotel room. <laughs> so oh, I bet. It, the festivities, festivities have begun, and that you know, as someone in the anti-trafficking field, it's always really important because I think there's a lot of sensationalism around the Super Bowl to acknowledge that, hey, trafficking is something before the Super Bowl came that we're all working on together. We'll we'll be working on it every day after the Super Bowl leaves town. But we have to acknowledge that wherever there are large gatherings, especially of men, the incidence of prostitution and trafficking increase. And I don't think we have a lot of good statistics yet as to what that increase looks like. But right. we just from experience of having worked past Super Bowls in New Orleans and Phoenix, we absolutely talked to women who had come to the city largely by bus that week because their exploiters saw an opportunity for increased revenue. And so we, we don't want to make it all about the Super Bowl, but we want to make sure we're ready for it. And another thing that we're really big on is we, we like to have positive messaging. We're not trying to keep events like the Super Bowl or con- business conventions from coming here. I love the city of Atlanta. I'd love for us to be the best host city in the world for these kinds of things, but let's make it the safest city as well. So we're going to be doing a lot of awareness raising with the people coming into town. We're going to be increasing our street outreaches, bus stop outreaches, strip club outreaches, our call centers. Um, We have a lot of agencies around Metro Atlanta and even beyond that have dedicated shelter beds in the event that there is a spike in rescues that happened that week and partnering with law enforcement. So we just want to make sure we have a really the platform in place to do the best we can while the event's here. And at the same time, just being a proud Atlantan that we are hosting the game and working with those who are hosting to make sure hotels are trained and airline ambassadors. And it's really an awesome collaborative effort that's happening. It's been pretty amazing. And the um, Atlanta police department has been coordinating a lot of it. I know you and I have been to some meetings together on that and just trying to, yep to get us all moving in the same direction and not getting in each other's way. <laughs> yeah. 
and um, it's easy to do. It's easy to do. It's easy to do, and it's it's been um, it's been great to see. It's I, I'm so proud to be you know part of this community and and this community of of you know NGOs and law enforcement and government agencies that are are really working together on this um, this this goal that we have. And we were talking, I had, uh, I'm on the Human Trafficking Task Force, as you guys are on the Statewide Human Trafficking Task Force as well. And we were, we had our work group meeting yesterday and we were talking about how, you know, the Super Bowl will be here in a couple of weeks, but then in two years, we've got the Final Four. And um, after that, we're hoping to maybe host some World Cup games. I think that that is on a lot of people's wish list. So, uh, you know, yeah. Atlanta, Atlanta's a happening place. It is. And I, and we're glad it is. And we want to take advantage of that in all the right ways too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm really excited to hear that groups have um, opened up shelter beds in case we do see a spike around the, around the uh, Super Bowl. That's great news. Yeah. Right now, we're we're hovering right around 50 beds currently, and that that could still increase over these last two weeks as well. Right, right. That's just that's great. I love the way all these groups are working together. Um, well, before we wrap up, I do want to talk a few minutes about Kelly. Yeah. You want to talk about our Kelly? Um, yeah. You for, know, it, yes and no. <laughs> it's yeah. It's very sad, and I and you and I, Carla, have talked about uh, this docu series that recently came out, six part series, and how much it reflects as you watch through the things that R. Kelly has engaged in, how it reflects kind of the mo of pimps and traffickers from recruiting to control, kind of all the way through the breaking process, and um, I, I think that there's a lot to learn even just culturally about how people get away with these kinds of things for so long. And I think a lot of us are still wrestling with that. Um, the idea of artists, um, people in positions of power and influence exerting those positions uh, as a lure and R. Kelly's deal seems to be with underage black girls specifically um, a historically marginalized population that he's been preying upon and kind of taking advantage of the fact that nobody seems to care about it. Cause it's certainly been known at least as far back as, you know, the, the child pornography charges that were brought against him in the early two thousands. And even before that, his marriage to another music artist, Aaliyah, when she was a minor. So it's, it's a difficult watch, but it's very educational too. And I, I think it challenges us as consumers of art and people in that consume culture. Uh, hey, what are we willing to tolerate? Because I've heard a lot of people say, you know, R. Kelly, it's just his music. Listening to his music is not an endorsement of his life and however bad of a guy he may be. But when someone is using the money and the power and the influence that's coming through consumerism. Like every time we buy a song or a record or stream his music or go to his concert, he, one of the most shocking things to me was hearing that even recently he was still using his concerts to meet young girls, bring them backstage, exchange phone numbers. 
and then make contact later on. And a lot of these young women are aspiring singers and artists themselves. And so really our decisions as consumers has continued to create a platform that he could take advantage of to support young women. So it definitely raises a lot of questions. It does. It does. And uh, just for our listeners real quick, we're talking about the documentary Surviving R. Kelly. Uh, It was created by Lifetime. I'm watching it on Hulu. Um, So if you I I don't have cable. So if you're like me and you don't have cable, it is available uh, to watch on Hulu. And I've only watched the first three episodes and, you know, the whole time my spidey senses are like going crazy. It, it's just it's textbook domestic violence, textbook exploitation, um, textbook what what we see, behavior we see, you know, in pimping and and those kind of behaviors. And, and when I'm this session with the Georgia General Assembly, I'm going to be recommending legislators watch this um, because so often I get the question, It everybody understands why uh, about the child sex trafficking, but there's something magical that seems to happen at 18 and suddenly people Mm -hmm. want it to be her choice. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah, and, and combating that with, you need to understand what this power dynamic looks like and why it's so hard for her to choose to leave. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a really good point. And one of the things that if for people who watch that you can take away is even the women that R. Kelly recruited when they were of the age of consent, you kind of hear a recurring theme of childhood sexual abuse that they experienced. Yes. and. The evidence seems to suggest that R. Kelly himself was sexually abused as a child, but now he's using that experience to share that with these vulnerable women as a means of building trust and rapport. And, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable with you, and you can trust me, and they're confiding in him about their own abuse. And then it's a matter of time before he moves from that caring companion or you know trusted sympathizer into that power position. And and most all of them say it, it wasn't something that happened immediately. It was something that was conditioned over the course of weeks or months. So that's a great point that you make. Right. It's that grooming process. And he it's yeah. it's almost like they strip these abusers, strip the self away from these women and, you know, controlling everything, controlling what they eat, controlling who they talk to. Um, I, you know, I've seen this in with families that I've talked to who've had children in domestic violence situations and how they were isolated and, you know, not able to talk to their parents. Um, it's just, it, it's really eye-opening. It's very hard to watch. Um, I watched the, the first one and wanted to sit and cry, but I had a meeting to go to, so I didn't have time. But, um, you know, it's just, it, they're very powerful, and I'm, I really hope that people will watch them. Um, I will note that he does deny the allegations, but uh, I'm in the, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire camp, and there's just too many that have come forward. I would encourage people to, um, especially this month while we're all kind of focused on the issue of trafficking and exploitation, 
wherever you're listening from, whatever city, state, country, kind of push yourself and challenge yourself to find something locally, either an awareness event or a book, a DVD, a series like this one, um, and uh, maybe a local agency that's doing work, find out how you can volunteer and really push yourself to get a little bit more educated. Even if you don't get fully involved, just having a little more information will help you as a parent, as a community member, uh, in whatever role you function, you'll be positioned to make a difference just by raising your own level of awareness about the issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, are there any like nationwide agencies that are, um, like, for example, I usually recommend people get in touch with their Rotary Club because Rotary International is very plugged in uh, to the, the human trafficking scene. Are there any others that you know that are nationwide? Yeah. You, guys, you guys are in Rotary. Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, we're, we're, we're starting that process of branching out um, beyond Georgia. But definitely Rotary Clubs, a, a lot of them now, at least once a year, are hosting meetings where they bring in a guest speaker to talk about trafficking. I know it's been one of their top priority items at their annual gatherings internationally. And there's a lot of great resources online, too, through Polaris Project, which runs the National Human Trafficking Hotline. They have a lot of really good research and articles and signs you can look for different types of communities from rural to urban to suburban. So yeah, there's definitely good resources out there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now um, to find out more information about out of darkness, where should people go? Yeah, they can go to outofdarkness.org. And if they're interested in requesting any specific information, they can email info at outofdarkness.org. Okay, info at outofdarkness.org. And I also have a blog post that's going to be going up on the Independent Women's Forum uh, blog at uh, iwf.org that gives more information about Out of Darkness and a little more to your story than we were able to really cover here in the short amount of time. Um, Is there anything else we need to touch on before we wrap up? No, Carl, I just want to thank you for your leadership in this area here in Georgia and for taking the time for your listeners to hear and learn a little bit more about this important issue. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to to join us today. I really appreciate that. I um, also want to thank our listeners for joining us today. And I encourage you, if you, um, if you like what you heard today, subscribe. We have a lot of good information that's coming out over the podcast. And uh, you can find us on iTunes or anywhere else you, um, you like to get your podcasts. So uh, we are signing off. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.